0: Take your Bibles, please. 1 John chapter number 2. And right here in 1 John chapter number 2, we'll continue in our series of messages. I believe this is the ninth message, and we've been here for some time, going verse by verse, expository preaching, word by word where necessary, uh, trying to understand God's word. And so, thank you so much for being here. And I. I believe everyone should have a copy of the notes. This could be a help to you as we follow along in the message this morning. It's good to see the Lopez family come came down from Phoenix to be with us this weekend. And I've already met two other visitors. Thank you so much for being here. It is a, it's just a joy to see folks visiting. All of those watching by live stream, thank you so much. I trust that you've already received a blessing from the music this morning. I would like to begin by sharing a testimony. Yesterday, we had a Spanish conference, and we had 267 people from a number of different churches. Um, All I did was smile uh, a lot, because I could not understand what was happening yesterday. But I did understand this. They loved to sing. The singing was amazing. And as I greeted all of those guests and opened in a word of prayer, uh, there was such excitement you know what? We've got to reach our Spanish community. There's a lot of Spanish people here in Arizona, and I'm thankful for the five or six pastors who came yesterday with many of folks from their church. And then I just want to say thank you to all, all of our Spanish and English people who came alongside and helped with nursery and food and, and, uh, and just serving. Uh, you made a great impression, and uh, many of you just love serving in your church. And I want to say thank you. It's a blessing to just walk through the courtyard. We had folks that arrived yesterday morning at 7.30 from English Church, and they were still here after 3.30 yesterday still serving. And so what a, what a joy it is to have so many who love serving in our church. And I would encourage you. Um, there's so many opportunities like this, and it's a joy to serve others. So find your place and jump in there and serve. 1 John chapter 2 We'll continue in our series of messages. I've entitled this morning's message, It Will All Turn Out in the End. It was 1989. There was a terrible earthquake in the country of Armenia. And listen to this. It killed 30,000 people all at once. um, But among those that were uninjured was a man and his wife. Their son's name was Armon. And Armand was in an elementary school that collapsed during this earthquake. And the father had always told his son that if he was ever in trouble, I will come and I will help you. I will always be there for you. And so he and his wife, they ran to the school that had collapsed, some 30,000 people who had died. And it looked hopeless. But Armand's father began to dig through the rubble and in the immediate aftermath, everyone is either recovering or trying to recover from their injuries or, or they're dazed, and, and yet he, he went and he dug through the rubble, the, the, the rubble of his collapsed elementary school. The story is recorded. Thirty-eight hours later, he heard Armand's voice. And Armand was there, and they were in a cavity within that school that had not collapsed around them, and with some other rescuers, they finally reached Armand and, uh, and other elementary boys and girls, and they rescued them 38 hours later. And it was quoted that Armand said this, I told my friends you would come because you had promised. I told them you would always be there for me. I just knew you would return. When I read that story, there's many different ways to take that as a sermon illustration, but in direct regards to, uh, to, uh, to our series of messages, the consistent theme of the New Testament is this, Jesus Christ is going to return, and we should live like he's going to return. He even said in John 14 and verse number 3 and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also Until then like Armon, we're to watch and we're to wait And we're to tell others like Armand told his friend my dad's coming for me And we should be telling our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors that our Heavenly Father is sending his son to come and get us. Armand didn't know when his dad would come, he simply knew this, he had complete confidence that my dad is coming. And we don't know when Jesus will come, but we must be ready. In the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and verse 25, Jesus was speaking specifically to the Jewish people in this discourse, and he taught them the parable of the talents. But there's this little phrase in Matthew 25, verse 13, when he says this, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. And that brings us to our text passage this morning. Would you look with me there in 1 John chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 28, and we'll go to verse 3 of chapter 3. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And if ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Behold, I would like to preach a message giving you four challenges from this uh, passage of Scripture that we're to be looking and ready for our Heavenly Father to send His Son to come and get us. And To do that, that presupposes that we know Jesus Christ is our personal Lord and Savior. Because an event is going to take place called the rapture. We do not know when, but there are certainly signs that show that His return is approaching. And I'd like to ask you, Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you, not the person seated in front of you, behind you, to your right or to your left, but are you ready to meet Jesus? May I just tell you, he is coming soon. Father, would you take our text passage, and would you take this message, and would you allow me to be merely an instrument this morning, a messenger, a voice for you, Father, as we consider missions, before we can even consider missions, we have to be ready. So would you help us to be ready so that we can see you without shame? Father, would you bless the words of this message in Jesus' name? Amen. Four challenges I would like to share with you in the time that we have together. Here we go. Challenge number one is this. Do not or don't corrupt your confidence. Don't corrupt your confidence. In fact, in verse number 28, we see this, that all believers, there's a general command here. We are to abide in Jesus. John begins with the familiar salutation. He says this, Little children. This is not the same Greek term he used in verse 18 referring to immature baby Christians, but this is a word that means all of God's children, those who have accepted him as a, their personal Lord and Savior. And what follows is not merely instruction for spiritual babies, but what follows, what John is writing, is to all of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, and this is an instruction for every single, single believer regardless of their spiritual maturity. So may I say this morning's message is for every single Christian here this morning. And again, we see the exhortation here. We read it that all believers are to abide in Jesus. In other words, that means to stay, to remain, to It means not just a relationship, but a close, intimate fellowship with Jesus. And and we've already established this is a constant theme throughout the book of 1 John. In fact, the word uh, abide is used some 21 times. And to abide in Jesus is to stay close to him. It requires us to dig into his word, to believe it, to obey it. To trust it. It means to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit or that anointing from God, as the Bible said. The Bible says we're to walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It means that we live in an utter dependence upon the Lord for all of those details of our life. Do you know, I think we should pray when we buy a car. Lord, is this the car that we should buy? I believe that when we buy a house, we should ask the Lord, is this the house that you would want me to purchase? I believe that when you find a church, you should pray about, is this the church that I should join to fellowship with? I believe that we should live in an utter dependence upon the Lord's instruction, the Lord's approval in our life. Jesus said in John 8 and verse 31, if ye continue in me, or in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. If you continue in my word, no matter how long we've known Jesus, there's always a deeper, there's a, there's a, a more passionate level to dig and to find in that relationship with Jesus. Paul, he cries out to the Romans in 11, uh, Romans 11 and verse 33, he says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. But I think there's a, a logical question here. He says that we are to abide in Jesus, but why are we to abide? I think there's many reasons we might give. We could say, I'm to abide in Jesus so I can have peace, or I can have joy, or, I could have victory over temptation and sin, or I could uh, live in harmony with my family and others, and the list could go on and on. But John, the writer of this book, he gives us a very specific reason that we're to abide in Jesus. Notice what the word says, that when he shall appear, we know, we, we know he's coming, But here's why, here's the specific reason I'm to abide, that I might have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So abiding in Jesus, he says, gives us confidence. Abiding in Jesus gives us confidence. That word confidence translates as outspokenness, as frankness, as bluntness. Have you ever met a blunt person? We've said they're pretty confident. Uh, they, they want you to understand their opinion, and they're highly opinionated. They're outspoken. They're confident. Um, this is the idea here. It literally means to speak openly. Uh, it's used in, uh, in John 10 and verse 24 when the Jews said to Jesus, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, the Bible says, now when they saw the boldness or confidence of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned, they were ignorant men. They marveled. They took knowledge of them that went, that, for this fact, that they had been with Jesus. I'd like to ask you a question. Has anyone ever accused you of being with Jesus? Have you ever been so close to Jesus in your worship, in your Bible study, in your prayer that someone says, that person has been with Jesus? That's what it said about Peter and John. They had been so close to Jesus that the other people marveled at their testimony. And when we have been with Jesus, when we abide in him, the Bible says we we gain great confidence or boldness in that we can speak about him with openness. Well, we've seen that all believers that we're to abide in Jesus, and that as we abide in Jesus, that it's going to give us confidence as a Christian. But I want you to notice what John wrote. Failing to abide in Jesus will cause us shame. Failing to abide in Jesus will cause us shame. That word of shame there that we just read about literally means to shrink or hide In disgrace. In the Garden of Eden, do you remember that story at the beginning of our Bibles in the book of Genesis? Um, We we have the story. uh, We're introduced to the first two human beings that lived on earth, Adam and Eve. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25, the Bible says, And they were naked, the man and his wife, Adam and Eve. And the Bible says, And they were not even ashamed. However, the Bible says, they sinned, and we know that they sinned, and then the Bible says they hid themselves when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And God asked them a question in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. He says this, where art thou, Adam and Eve? I'm looking for you. Where are you? Now, did God know where they were? Yes, God knew exactly where they were, but he was causing them to have a response to the question. And Adam answered in Genesis 3 and verse number 10, he says, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, and because I was naked, and then I took Eve and we hid ourselves. Who told him he was naked? Well, he was introduced immediately to his sin nature. And because of that sin nature, he knew that he was naked. And the Bible says he was ashamed. If Jesus were to come back right now, we would hear that trumpet. Would you have confidence? Or would there be shame? Could you boldly speak with him of your faithfulness, uh, 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 of your stability, of your rock, bed, solid, steadfastness for the things of God? Or would you shrink back? in fear and hide yourself. Would you like, (coughs) excuse me, suddenly you want to be in the back of the line. You want to hide. Would you be ashamed? Would you turn with me, I I, I know the verses are often on the screen, but this might be a verse that you would underline or mark in your Bible. Would you turn over to the book of Corinthians? Uh, That's right there, real close to where you are. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'd like for you to see this in your very own Bibles, and, uh, and let's not be totally dependent on the screens this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, and it might be that you would underline a portion of this in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, thank you so much for doing that. In verse number 9, I'd like to share two verses with you. The Bible says this, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Who is the him? Christ, that we might be accepted of him. But then I want you to notice verse 10, and it's very important if you claim to be in Christ this morning. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one of you may receive the things done in your body according to the he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, this is an amazing verse. And here's why I want you to specifically look, because this is a verse that should cause a cold shiver to go down your spine. This verse, verse number 10, says, how many, peer, how many people will appear before the judgment seat of Christ? And let's, tr- let's answer that together. How many people will appear before the judgment seat of Christ? So if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, will you appear before the judgment seat of Christ? That's what the Bible says. Yes, you will appear. But then the Bible goes on to say that you, individually, Brent, individually, that I will stand before God, and I'm going to give an account of those things that I have done for Christ. Now, is this talking about salvation? Let's let's answer that question again. Is this verse speaking about salvation? It is not speaking about salvation because there are no works associated with salvation. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. So salvation is not being spoken of here. This is what happens after I become a Christian. And after I become a Christian, everything I do is either for Brent or for Christ. That's either for good Or for bad. Do you follow what I'm saying here? This verse is critical for us. The Bible clearly says that we must all, that word all is referring to believers, that all believers will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The bima or judgment seat is a place of rewards. How many of you like getting rewards? We all like getting gifts and rewards. That is going to happen to every believer. You will stand before Christ, and you at the judgment seat of Christ will receive awards or rewards. Some have promoted the idea that there will be no regrets. There will be no shame. There will be no negativity. To do so, we would have to strike 1 John 2 and verse 28 from the Bible. When we stand before Jesus, there will only be two, ga- two categories of thoughts. The Bible is clear. They'll be good and they'll be bad. And you say, Pastor, I hope to have some of both. I know that there's times that, I, that I'll be ashamed, but, but I have confidence in other areas. So it's going to all wash out. You know, maybe there's some gray area in the middle, but there's some good and there may be some bad, but at the end it's all going to uh, work out. Would you show me that in the Bible? I would like to uh, challenge you. Show me that in the Word of God where it says, I just hope it all works out. That is not what the Bible says. I see nothing in Scripture about being both confident and ashamed. It's an either-or proposition. John indicates that we will have confidence in the way we've lived our life. We will not be ashamed. Or he says, if I do not live for Christ, when he comes back, I'm going to be ashamed. It's not Both Now, I realize there's probably some singular events that uh, I would be ashamed of, but the course of my life, as I have lived as a Christian, has been either for Christ, Brent, or this world. And my prayer and my desire is that through the course of my life, I'm living it for Jesus Christ. So that when he does appear, that I might confidently be able to say, I have abided in jesus christ someone as well said what we weave in time we shall wear in eternity so in that day every hidden thing is going to be revealed i can prove it to you from scripture because even jesus said in luke chapter 12 for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed neither hid that shall not be known therefore whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light And that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets or in secret shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Who you really are is not what you look like right here, right now, on Sunday morning. Come on, pastor, that's mean. Who you really are is what you think and what you say and what you do when no one else is around. In that day, all things you hide so well right now, the Bible says it's going to be brought to light. That hidden pornography habit will be revealed. Those under-the-table fraudulent business deals will be on the table. Those hot checks or tax shortcuts and bills you skipped over is going to come out. and All the lies and deceit and dishonesty will be laid bare in the blazing light of Christ's holiness. And our secret prejudices hatreds and bitterness and unforgiving spirits will be disclosed and the demeaning and defaming comments we whisper privately the bible says will be shouted from the housetops the real you and the real me will be revealed at the beam of seat so i ask you will you be able to stand confidently before jesus through the trajectory of your life, having lived for him? Or will you be ashamed? I know that today, every one of us, we can change and we can make that decision to be confident in Jesus. But that's up to you. You say, but Pastor, wait a second. I'm slightly confused. Doesn't the blood of Jesus cleanse us of all sin? Because we're saved, um, are we not forgiven all of those things? And the answer is absolutely yes. yes. There is no confusion on that. God's grace is indeed great. However, we, w- we can have an absolute relationship, but our fellowship be broken. We've already established that through the first eight messages. We can have absolute relationship. That is, I became a Christian, but my fellowship is broken because even though I, was a, I am a Christian, I chose to live my life my way. 1 Corinthians uh, 3.15 speaks of this person saying this, He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by what? Fire. The stinge, the smell of hell will be on a lot of people who just made it to heaven and have nothing but shame when they stand before the Lord. So what is the solution? How can I have confidence? How can I know? The Bible says there in 1 John 3 and verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. 1 John 4 and verse 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect that we might have boldness in the day of judgment. Take the mask off in complete honesty. Does your heart condemn you? May I say, my dear friend, it does not have to. Confess your sin. Begin today, right now, today, to abide in Him so that you can have confidence when He returns. A button missing from your shirt or a stain on your tie, it doesn't matter how neat everything else looks, that one blemish draws the attention. I was on an airplane a couple of weeks ago, and the flight attendant was wearing something called hose. I don't think we even know what those are in Arizona because of our heat. One of the flight attendants was wearing dark blue hose. She looked perfect. Her little her little badge ID over here was all polished, and, and her fingernails were done, her hair was made up. We got on the airplane, her shoes were even shined, and she looked sharp. It was the beginning of her day, and um, and, and so, uh, she welcomed everybody, everybody. We got all seated. But as soon as I got seated, I noticed that right there in her kneecap, there was a hole in her hose. Do you know the only thing I could see the rest of the flight? Was that, was that hole growing? Was it, was it running? What was going on? Everything else was neat. You know, oftentimes, that's us. There's little, small details that we've never taken care of with God. And it becomes blinders on our service to him. Well, I spent a lot of time, so I'm going to have to race now through three more challenges. Can we do that together? So take good notes here, and we'll have to come back and maybe finish this later. Challenge number one is over, and that is, is don't corrupt your confidence. And your confidence is corrupted by Sin. Don't be ashamed when Jesus comes. Challenge number two is this. Don't limit God's love. We read that in verse 29 um, and following. All genuine believers are God's children. John writes, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. A child always shares his parents' nature. And if we've been born again, we should, we should practice righteousness. That should be a characteristic of being a child of the king. A genuine believer is marked by what he does, not by what he knows. And this is a transitional verse that brings us to chapter number three. And that is this, that we are God's children because of his love. You didn't do anything. I didn't do anything to deserve it. John emphatically begins this with this word, behold, That means see, stop. It's a flashing neon sign that says, wait a second, pay special attention about about what I'm about to write. This does not tell us that uh, that God loves, but how he loves. How does he love us? In a statement of astonishment. Maybe I could say, surprise. John writes, what manner of love, behold, what manner of love. And it has this idea of, um, it's a term that originally meant, of what country? Uh, God's love is so great that John knows it's unearthly. What, con- what country? Where did this love come from that's so amazing God has not merely shown us his love, but bestowed or lavished it upon us more than you can possibly imagine. And he says this, we are called the sons and daughters of God. That's who we are. Verse 2 says, now are we the sons of God. God doesn't call all men his children. Galatians 3 and verse 26 says, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. A genuine believer here I'm asking you, are you a genuine believer? Some of us come from dysfunctional families, uh, destructive relationships, perhaps even an abusive home. And so many of us have poor examples. And may I just say, don't confuse your earthly parents with your new parent, God Almighty. Uh, The Bible says because, in verse number one there, because we are God's children, that we do not belong to this world. I don't know if you haven't heard anything or if you've been listening well to this point. But if you could just for the next couple of minutes listen to this very thought. And you'll leave here taking something away from the message. As a Christian, I do not belong to this world. And every new believer is disappointed when he tries to share his newfound enthusiasm for Jesus with his family and his friends and his co-workers. And they say something like, so what? John says this, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Jesus was not unclear about who he was. His actions and his words proved who he was. He was rejected because of this reason. He looked like God. Think about that. Jesus was rejected because he looked and he acted like God. And if we abide in Jesus and we walk as he walked, the Bible says that the people of this world, they will not know, they will not understand us. Several years ago, um, uh, we know that former President George Bush he went to a Christian university called Bob Jones University, and he spoke. He was roasted in the press. CNN coverage, MSNBC, all of those news organizations—they were—they jumped all over. Former President George Bush for speaking at Bob Jones University, a Christian university. But at the same time, Al Gore he met with a group of political uh, homosexual activists who were constantly pushing their perverted lifestyle, and it never even made the news. I'm here to tell you that we as Christians, we as believers, we do not belong to this world, and whenever we shine as lights, the world gets uncomfortable. Why won't they, or the world, the unsaved people, understand? Paul explained this to the Corinthians when he said this, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Do you know, I don't like being blunt too often, but I'll be blunt this time. If you get along just fine with unbelievers and you don't bother them very much, it's because you look more like their father than the Heavenly Father. And that's sad. Uh, If people tell you that you're just some religious nut, you should tell them, that's okay, it's a family tradition. (laughs) Someone said, we're all nuts, but the difference is, we Christians are screwed on to the right bolt. Henry David Thoreau said, if I do not seem to be keeping step with those around me, it's because I'm listening to another drumbeat. If you never confuse, if you never irritate an unsaved person, you're either out of fellowship with God or you have no relationship with Him. If they can relate to you in the same way that they relate, uh, uh, if you can relate to them in the exact same way as all their other non-Christian friends, You're limiting the flow of God's love from your life. Uh, The challenge, don't corrupt your confidence. The second challenge, don't limit God's love. Very quickly, the third challenge is this. don't, Don't hide your hope. Don't hide your hope. God has not revealed all that we shall be. John says, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now is emphatic. In the Greek New Testament, it's at the beginning of the sentence. Now are we the sons of God. We've already become God's children. And we don't have to, we don't have to wait uh, to, to grow up. You're a child of the king right now if you've trusted him. And I just tell you that one day, we're going to look like him. Many people are concerned what a Christian looks like today. May I just tell you, there is no Christian look. It took me a lot of years to come to that conclusion. There's no Christian clothes or Christian haircuts or Christian jewelry. You cannot physiologically uh, make yourself to appear as a Christian. The only way people can tell that you're a Christian is by how you live. By how you live. And there's some of us are so confused that we want to look a certain way on the outside, but we're nothing more than a spiritual hypocrite. May I just tell you, the way you live proves whether you're a child of the king. So our uh, God has not revealed all that we shall be. Our hope is that we will be like him. Two things will happen at once. The Bible says we're going to see Jesus as he is, and then we're going to be made to look like him. And some of us are going to be surprised that we may not look like we look right now. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus prayed in John 17 that they may uh, behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Paul said this to the church of Corinth, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then it's coming face to face. I'm going to see Jesus Christ. And on that glorious day, our hope will be reality. And we're going to know what that phrase means to be a joint heir with Christ. Hebrews 2 and verse number 10, it's going to be fulfilled. It says, for it became him for whom are all things. And by him are all things and bringing many sons into glory. Oh, what a day when our sin and our pain and our sorrow are removed. And we're going to be like Jesus. I say, don't hide your hope. And finally this morning, don't pervert your purity. Don't pervert your purity. This is John making a difficult challenge for all of us. Christians don't use the word hope in a hope-so way. Every Christian has a certain hope. It's just a matter of time. In the meantime, John says this. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure, the hope of tomorrow drives what we do today and, and kids uh, they often like to wear their favorite sports a uh, hero 's jersey because they understand that they work hard uh, and they have a hope that they can make it to the pros like their hero. May I just tell you, hope for tomorrow keeps you clean today. And if you're living for today, you don't care about purity. Do you have confidence this morning that Jesus is coming back? And if he is coming back, we're to live our lives pure. This past week, I had the opportunity to visit with a man that that, uh, I've never visited with before. I I had the opportunity to hear his story. It was very obvious that this man did not have a relationship with Christ. He's not a believer. He is not saved. If he were to die at this moment, he would slip out into a Christless eternity. Do you understand what I'm saying? The man is lost. He's sitting in my office, and we're talking. And after listening to what he had to say, it became very apparent through language, mannerisms, and just, just, just his life that there's no relationship. So what do you think that I'm supposed to do as a pastor? Do you think I should ask him if he wants to become a Christian? Do you think I should do that? Do you think I should witness to him and tell him about Jesus? Absolutely. So I attempted to do that. And he put his hand up and he stopped me. And he said these words. They burn in my ears. When I meet a Christian who says they're a Christian and they live like a Christian, I'll consider it. But I've met too many people who say they're a Christian and they're just like me. Why do I want what they want? I mean, why do I want what they have? Or they say they have. And it's like, they grip my heart. You know what he's saying? There's a lot of us that say we're Christians. There's no testimony or evidence because of the words that come out of our mouth or the things that we do, the places we go, the things that we say. They don't match up and don't align with what this unsaved man believes that the Bible says that a Christian should be. And that's what John is saying. There are those who confidently, Lord, please come back. I'm ready for you to come back. And then there are those who are going to stand with great faces when Jesus comes back. You could close your Bibles. I'm through. But I want to ask you a question. So many in this very room, I've heard it with my own ears. You've said this. I can't wait until what? Jesus comes I can't wait till Jesus comes back. And uh, it's not like you want to die today, but you would say that. You would say, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. I'd like to ask you a question. Do you you really mean that? Do you really mean that? Because when he comes back, the Bible says you're going to be face to face with him. And the way you live your life right now is going to be revealed. Does it match up with confidence that I love Jesus Christ or I'm going to be ashamed?